Mark, want to know how Nico gets over his nerves on the pod every week? <laughs> right he... before we go live, he pukes. <laughs> Next. This is what you got. Find out who would win a fight between Jamie Foxx and LL Cool J. And which hip-hop star throws like a girl. <laughs> yes. Movie Tales. I'll have what she's having. Hosted by Mark, Jeff, and Nick. Round up the usual suspects. Three lifelong friends who all dropped out of film school because they all figured out they loved watching movies more than making them. Are you not entertained? Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. These cinephiles review and reveal widely unknown factoids, lore, myths, trivia, and cultural impact of the movie. Mostly funny. I'm your huckleberry. Sometimes serious. I'm gonna make him an awful again with you. Definitely interesting insight into the best movies we only thought we knew. He's looking at you, kid. Uh, Mark, what are we watching this week? We are going back to 1999, one of our favorite years to talk about in movie history, and we are watching the Oliver Stone football classic Any Given Sunday. And for those that are not familiar with Any Given Sunday, MVB D26 has provided us with this beautiful recap on IMDb. And it says, a star quarterback gets knocked out of the game and an unknown third stringer is called in to replace him. The unknown gives a stunning performance and forces the aging coach to reevaluate his game plans in life. A new co-owner, president, adds to the pressure of winning. The new owner must prove herself in a male-dominated world. This movie stars uh, Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx, Cameron Diaz, Dennis Quaid, LL Cool J, amongst many others. I know I'm leaving plenty out, but let's uh, let's jump right in. Moment in time. When did you see this movie, Neek? I saw it. So this is. I was thinking about this today. I drove to the movie theater to see it by myself. I was so excited. I think I kind of had Varsity Blues in mind because it had come out like about a year before, and that's what I was expecting. So. Believe it or not, I actually hated this movie when I first saw it. I just did not get the point. It felt a little too long. You know I hate that. A little much overdone. But then a few years after that, about four, the Denver Nuggets, our hometown basketball team, started playing it at commercial breaks, the famous Al Pacino speech, which I know we're going to get into a lot tonight. And I found it really inspiring. And I'm like, holy crap, i got to go back and rewatch this movie. And on the rewatches is when I started to love this movie, and I still love this movie. And it's just weird that I didn't catch it the first time. I think I was expecting the popcorn MTV, like Varsity Blues, and I just wasn't ready for it. But looking back to this day, is probably my top three favorite football movies. All right, wow. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, so I saw this movie in high school, and I didn't like it. Uh, like you, Nick, <laughs> I actually hated it. I thought, I thought the emotion was nauseating. I found it over the top. Speaking of nausea... One quick note here. I saw this movie with my best friend in high school, Andy Minicus, who was an all-conference linebacker and four-year Division II starter. His nickname in high school, I shit you not, was Puke because he puked before every football practice and every football game. Something he did continuing his whole career through college. Uh, just, I've always thought that was funny about this movie, and it was, it was kind of funny seeing it with him for that reason. While I didn't like this movie at the time, this movie has aged incredibly well. And like you, Nico, I like this movie a little bit better every single time I've rewatched it. What about you, Mark? Uh, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I remember seeing this when it came out and being underwhelmed. 
It was 1999. Looking back, I think it might just be because of that year. And once again, it was just great movie after great movie after being after great movie. And this was. I'm just going to say that. That's right. This was, yeah. This was kind of a slow dud for me at the time, and it was a fun revisit because I. I really gained an appreciation for the football aspect of the movie, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But, but yeah, I remember it being just not super impressed when I first saw it. So it was fun going down memory lane because it, it deserved a rewatch. Let's jump right in. What worked, Jeff? Yeah, so like I said before, this movie aged very well. The story and themes are great. Uh, the performances are great. I just... Really, what worked mostly for me is how well it aged in the themes. I mean, this was 1999. Like, let's say 10 years before the NFL started acknowledging concussions. And concussions are all over uh, this film. Uh, the, In fact, the whole kind of ruining your body for the game thing. Uh, the places, maybe placism, not racism uh, by Willie Beeman. Uh, and some of the social justice stuff, like literally... 20 years kind of ahead of its time in that regard as well. And the other thing is, this is the one film I think really captures how brutal of sport football actually really is. When talking to friends I know that have played the game, one thing they always said is that on on TV, you just can't get the true physicality of it. And I think this movie captures that uh, very well. What, what aged well, or what, what worked well for you, Nick? I like the aspect of the locker room falling apart. I found it really real. I, I bought into that big time. There's a lot of things that didn't work for the team, and we'll get into that later. But that was really the heart of the movie: was they had to fall apart, they had to get, they had to lose their chance at a winning season, and then they had to come back together. And I think Willie Beeman coming out at the end and being that guy was was the heart of this movie. And for me, it was realistic. I think when you see it in a lot of team movies, you just don't buy it. But this one worked, and I think LL Cool J being the leader, like the heart of the leader in that was was also my favorite part. That's, I, I agree with you, and I have here in my notes, all the on-field material just worked so well for me. I feel like I'm right there on the offensive or defensive line in those football shots. Uh, this feels like the football movie a lot of NFL players would claim to be their favorite football movie. I feel like it's the football movie that represents the players. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, Bill Bellamy, Terrell Owens, LL Cool mm-hmm. J, they all do a great job. I love Jim Brown as a defensive coordinator. Jimmy Woods and Dennis Quaid, are, they're so great in their limited roles. I feel like it does a great job showing just the grit, like you said. And I don't know whether it's the cortisone shots in the medical room or the locker room clicks and the fights, but at the end of the day, the Game of Inches speech... It gets you amped up. It, it does. does it for you. The football material's raw. And for me, I really just need the opening 20 minutes of this movie, everything with Jimmy Woods, and the last 45 minutes. <laughs> I like that. This could be a 45-minute movie. Good I mean, it, about- it, it could be. <laughs> it, uh, I actually think this movie would work better. Uh, like Nowadays, it would definitely be, like, be a streaming TV show. Uh, this, it, there's, all, there's so much good stuff in it. But it all kind of gets packed together, and I think that's what sometimes holds this movie back. I know we're not into what didn't work yet, but I just, I really, I think this movie would kind of hit it out of the park as like a 10 or 11 episode 
uh, Netflix or Disney Plus or HBO Max kind of uh, yeah. show. I can well, see it. Look, look how well... Look how well Friday Night Lights was did as a series versus one movie. I think we can all agree that the series is way better. Oh yeah, it's there in a football team or a football program. There's just too many characters, and this movie has so many ideas, and they're all great. That's where like this might be one of those movies where the parts are bigger bigger than the sum. Uh, but we'll get again. We'll get into that with what doesn't work. Speak. You mentioned the speech. Getting into favorite scene. Uh, is either of your favorite scene not the speech at the end? <laughs> yeah, um, well, outside of the favorite speech, I really love the opening 20 minutes. I know the camera is a bit wonky, and I know that, that frustrates you, Jeff. But I get sick every time I watch that damn I just, thing. It just, it just sets the tone of the grittiness of the movie and how just the, the no holds barred from all of them. So I really do love that. And I, and I love the speech. I'm Not the speech, but I love the scene where James Woods gets fired. I think it's such a realistic scene. Oh yeah. It outside of it playing out in the public like that, I feel like that scene is definitely a real scene that happens behind closed doors somewhere. You know that his character is based on an actual doctor from the NFL. Totally buy it. Totally makes so sense. So it's actually based on I think his name was Dr. Rosenchild. I could be butchering that name, but he was a doctor for the for the Oakland Raiders in the 1980s during their heyday. Uh and Al Davis Do- just win, baby. Doctor Huzinga was his underdoctor, just like in this movie. And at one point, he at at certain point, he just got so disgusted he quit. He didn't throw him under the bus like in the movie, but instead he went out and wrote a book titled "It's Just a Bruce," where he literally exposed all of these things. Everything that literally happened in the movie is something this doctor did, uh, including. The uh, risking paralysis and let being okay, like the player just signing a waiver. So I, I found that fascinating. And big portions of this script are based on that book. It's just a Bruce. That's good stuff. And I think James Woods only works because of Matthew Modine. I think they're great yin and yang for the whole medical concept of, of I feel like there's a lot of truth probably to that, to those two characters. It, 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 I mean, it, it sounds totally believable. So I'm glad that you pointed that out, Jeff. Same with the yin and yang with LL Cool J and Jimmy Fox, though. I mean, they work well together on opposite sides, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like how that trust unfolds over the course of the film. I, I, I'd buy that as well. So, I, If there's one scene beside the speech, I guess, that I like, I, there's, there's kind of two. I really like the speech in the sauna between LL Cool J and or the kind of lecture in the sauna between LL Cool J and uh, Jamie Foxx or Willie Beeman. Oh no, you're thinking Lawrence Taylor and Willie. Lawrence Beeman. Taylor and Willie Beeman. Yeah. I apologize. I yeah. apologize. Where he kind of uh, he gives them just that great like pep talk, and I oh, thought yeah. that was a great like moment between teammates. And the especially scene that, hold on, especially yeah. that's after in the movie we see Lawrence Taylor cut Willie B's car in half with a chainsaw, and we'll get to my favorite quote in that in a second. But keep going, Jeff. Absolutely. And the other one that should have been my favorite scene, because it's so well written, was the scene between Al Pacino and Jamie Foxx. But Oliver Stone fucks that scene up. <laughs> With like, the gladiator takes? It, yeah, the <laughs> intercut of Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, Ben-Hur all throughout. I get what he's trying to get at, but it literally, it's like Oliver Stone was like, he has two great performers at the top of their game. And he's instead going, look at me. Look at the neat stuff I can do. 
He's just doing too much. He's doing too much. In a lot of, I don't. I have a lot of problems with the way Oliver Stone did a lot of this movie, and a lot of them have to do with ego. He did not step back and let the script and the performers do their thing. He kind of interjects himself and his over the topness all over this film. Yeah, absolutely. And I really believe this would be one of the best sports movies ever if he toned it down, or maybe another director did it. That scene should have been great, and that scene is. I, it's so distracting when you get to the yeah. like gladiator and the Ben. I, eh, not to mention, it's a there's a lot of like African American undertone things in that scene, and why not use like a movie about like U.S. slavery instead of like one about like white slavery or like gladiator? That was a little disturbing to me too. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But anyway, you were gonna say something, Nick. Um. I actually love that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes. So my favorite scenes are Al Pacino fighting with people, and that's one of them with Jamie Foxx. But I love when he's fighting with Miss Pagnacci too. I think those are great. I know she's not the greatest actress, but what they're fighting about is very real to me. And specifically when they're leaving the Miami party and they're getting along, and he just tells her, "What does he say, Mark? Just win one. Just win one." And he's basically telling her like she's like D League, right? Like you weren't there when we won these championships, and. It's not as easy as you think, and there's this banter between them where she's trying to be fake nice, he's trying to be nice, he's trying to exhibit authority over her, and her authority is always in him. She's she's literally pounding him all the time, telling him he doesn't know how to win anymore, he built a crappy program, this is his fault. There's a lot of realness in there in modern day sports that I think still applies today, and I think they, they nailed that part too. And as far as the scene that you're talking about with Jamie Foxx, I think that's a great talk on leadership, a lot. I love when he says they have to look in your eyes, they have to believe. You know, that may that's not in my quotes, but I know I'm sneaking that in. Sure. It's inspirational stuff. I love it. You know, I that's I care a lot about leadership, especially with business and this, I think that they did a good job of This movie tackles leadership that. and the, and the different kinds of leadership. Yeah. Extremely well. Another mm-hmm. thing that I wanted to mention that I think is you were touching on it a little bit Nick there that I uh. think is underrated and sometimes missed in this movie. Mm. is I love the theme of the old guard and the new guard. This entire movie is kind of about the rebellious and the new Mm -hmm. up-and-comers and kind of the old guard that built it. That's a great analogy. And how those two groups can come together because there's so much that the new guard, if they're willing to step back and listen can learn from the old guard, but at the same time, the old guards kind of got to get out of their way and learn something from the new guard into like the modern way of doing things. And if they can come together, they can achieve greatness. And that scene, uh, you see it with the, you see it with Willie Beeman and Tony and the coach Tony, like throughout the movie. But that scene with the owner and Tony is that it's about the same thing. Cause he keeps bringing up her dad and she, I mean, but he's also not letting her be the owner. The same way he's kind of not letting his assistant coach bring in the new offensive philosophy. Yep. He's not letting her step into that role that she's kind of been groomed for her whole life. And I also thought it was an excellent scene. Talking of, talking about uh, our, our girl in this movie, did you think she's... I. Mark, I know you have a real problem with her uh, performance in this movie. And my wife refused to watch it with me because she thinks she's so bad in it. Did you really think she's that bad, Nick? I, I didn't I 
didn't have that big a problem with the performance. I think when I originally first saw it in 99, I thought it was awful. But then now I, I don't mind it. I think she's playing a character she has to play. Yeah. It's what we need from her. She, she's just, too much of her dialogue is yelling. It really is. She could have had a scene or two with her mom that were more intimate and more character-driven. They could have shown us a more empathetic side, and they didn't give us any of it. They just maybe gave us Cameron Diaz yelling and being a bitch for two hours straight. Maybe, two Cameron, hours. Took, maybe Cameron took too many men. Maybe she was being mentored too much by Al Pacino. Because let's face it, since uh, me and you talk about this all the time, Mark, since Son of a Woman, all that man does is yell. Correct. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and for I wonder if he sat her down or she was trying to, like, maybe he rubbed off on her the wrong way in this movie. Oh, yeah. And when they when they went through the script together, they just said, okay, we're just going to yell at each other. That's... And, and, and I, you're the mad owner. You don't like the aging old coach, and I'm the stubborn old coach that hates the new own the new daughter in charge. So it, it works, like Nick said, to some extent. Like her character serves her purpose, in my opinion. But that being said, Cameron Diaz drives me absolutely <laughs> bananas in almost every scene she's in, just because she's overacted and she seems nothing like what a sports owner my, would be. My would, wife. My wife would agree. Uh, move, uh, moving along, we got to get into this. We got to get into the speech. So, I'm just going to go around the room and tell me your favorite thing. It doesn't have to be a quote from it. it. Can be a quote from it. It can can be just a feeling you get from it. What's your favorite thing about the speech, Nick? I think believing in each other. As cheesy as that sounds, that's when I first heard it at the Nuggets game. What I take away from it, but I think that that extra fight. You know, it's, it's, it was a unique speech for the time, and it's probably the best one I've heard in any movie. Do you think the Hoosiers one is better? No. Yeah, I mean, you think this comes, is better than the Hoosiers? The only you think one this is better than the Hoosiers? Close uh-huh. is Miracle. And that's Ooh. the only one that comes close, in my opinion. Oh, I haven't seen it. So I think this speech starts off really flat. I know you guys don't think that, but it builds, and I love the part when he gets into. You know, we're talking about you got to look at the guy next to you, and look into look into his eyes, and you know, think you're gonna see uh, who's gonna go that inch with you. I love that part. That, how can you not love that part? Yeah. So I mean, if you're not all in by the end, <laughs> then there is part of you that's a bit too much of a cynic. So <laughs> agreed. I I I play this speech on YouTube before like I have a I'm in sales, so before I if I have a big meeting coming up in a day. I will like put my headphones on in the office and play this speech for myself. Yeah. To get myself pumped up cuz I I don't know how this speech doesn't pump you up. The mm-hmm. one thing what my probably my favorite thing about this speech though and this is the one part where I think Oliver Stone does an incredible service to the movie is the way it's shot. I love that cut where it shows basically him looking directly at Willie Beeman. Yeah. So it feels as if he's talking directly to him. And I've been in a, I've played sports my entire life uh, and uh, three varsity sports in high school. And I've heard a number of, my dad's also a varsity basketball coach, uh, girls basketball coach. So I've heard locker room speeches my entire life. And when they do a good speech, the good ones, the good coaches, make everybody in that room feel like they're talking directly to them. And I felt like the way Oliver Stone shot that scene, he does a great job of making you feel like, oh, no, he's talking to Rooney. 
Oh no, he's talking to Beeman. He's talking to, but in a way he's talking to all of them. But from that player's point of view, he thinks he's talking solely about him. Yeah. And I've been in those locker rooms and I've felt that um, both as an, uh, both as a coach an, or an assistant coach and as a player. And I'll tell you, even as an assistant coach for my, my years uh, coaching in Las Vegas, I sometimes felt like the head coach was talking directly to me. And I, that wasn't true at all because he was talking to the team. But the good coaches know how to do that. And I thought Stone captured that perfectly. Moving, uh, moving right along. Uh, best quote. Uh, Nick, shoot, shoot me your best quote. Hold on one second. I want to go back to that speech okay, real quick. Perfect. I just think – I think part of what makes that scene great is – the reactions from each of the actors too. I mean, that takes because he does a lot of cutting from Pacino to the players to each player. Like you said, that's not an easy thing to do. And like you said, he and he infused each of the characters that we got to know over the two hours into that speech, and they have to emotionally react to it, right? And that's that's a good. He did a really good job of that. That's where I actually got the goosebumps from too. That this speech gives me goosebumps. So I just wanted to end on that. That's 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 part of life, but. You only learn that when you start losing stuff. You find out life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small. I mean, one half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow, too fast, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. They're in every break of the game, every minute, every second. (laughs) On this team, we fight for that inch. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's gonna make the fucking difference between winning and losing. Three thousand cuts, huh? Yeah, I can't do it for you. Uh, favorite quotes? That's not my favorite quote. Don't worry. My favorite quote is actually to the theme that you mentioned, Jeff, about the old versus the new, the guard. And I don't know why this isn't even that great of a quote, but it's it's the one that I remember the most, and it's at the very last scene where Willie Beeman and Coach D'Amato are walking in the middle of the field. And it all comes together for Willie Beeman. He says, I can't get over Cap. I learned more watching him in the first half than I did in five seasons. Next week, I'm going to win it just for him. And obviously, we know he did go on to win it because they went out of the Pantheon Bowl and lost to San Francisco. But I, that was Willie Beeman's full circle moment to me, right? We, we saw that happening as the game was going on. We saw him getting along with Cap Rooney, but when he actually said it at the end, it was it was just a complete moment for me. It was my ah moment, and so I, that's my favorite quote. I I like uh, when a man looks back on his life, he should be proud of all of it, not just the years he spent in pads and cleats, not just memories of when he was great. You got to learn that in here, or if you don't, you ain't a man. You're just another punk, and that was in that aforementioned uh, speech in the sauna sauna room. Mark, what you got? I'm also quoting Lawrence Taylor. He's so good in this movie. <laughs> Lawrence Taylor rocks in this movie. Yeah. Lawrence Taylor, I think he just played himself in this movie. Yeah, I think he's <laughs> Absolutely. Too. 
So, after he cuts Willie B's car in half with that chainsaw, like I mentioned earlier, he says, in football, there's an offense, there's a defense. You can't have one without the other. Respect, Willie B. And it's such a great moment, because then it segues into the scene where his offensive line just quits on him, Uh because he's all about himself, and we see that transgression happen over the course with his character. But I just love Lawrence Taylor putting him in his place by literally sawing his car in half, and then he's just standing up there with that (laughs) quote, and it just, I love it. Such a great arc. Willie Beeman has such a great arc in this this movie. Uh, Tony Tony does too. This is a well-written film. I got one. I got a funny one. I got to read uh, from Jack Rose. It's like my ex-wife. Twenty-one different personalities, and seven seven of them hated me. <laughs> <laughs> they modeled about... Jack Rose after Jim Rome, didn't they? Did they? Yeah. They. What about? Who, he also got into an altercation with a coach. That this was before the days of the internet, so it's kind of he uh-huh. said, she said. But uh, yeah, they very much based it on him. Go ahead, Nick. What about what I texted you guys today? Comanche. Oh, it's such a good scene. <laughs> how the end this game is great. It really is. It might be the best play, name of a play yeah. in, in film yeah. history. He's like, there's only nine seconds left. What if he doesn't get tackled? The game's, I don't know. I, I actually, Aaron Eckhart was a really good part of this movie. He's, he really is. He is. I told you, all the football stuff works. And the offensive coordinator fully is part of that. So I'm with you. I, I got a great uh, Aaron Eckhart story. He said, uh, so he, I think it was him that said it. If not, uh, I apologize to whoever it was. But when they, they first get onto the set, uh, I guess Oliver Stone was just a lunatic on this set. I guess at this point, he's always been a lunatic, but I guess at this point, he's just full stone lunatic. Uh, and he, he says, so he gets on there. And the first thing he said, Oliver Stone says to him is welcome to Nam." <laughs> yeah, I heard that. One more. We got to go back to. Uh, we got to go back to Doctor Mandrake, because you're right, Nick. He's you're, you're Jimmy right, Woods. Guys. Jimmy Woods. Such a great, such a great character. When he talks, he says, "You're actually one of the few relatives that I can stomach, but you're the internist. I'm the orthopedist. Remember, bone, muscle, joint, me. Runny nose, diarrhea, gonorrhea, pink eye. You got it. All right. Uh, moving along. Do you guys have any more quotes? No, uh, you got it. I could I could read that whole James Woods speech, but I, yeah, I mean we could read the entire speech. It's that good, but and James Woods' speech. This is just as good in the middle of the movie. It's so good. His exit speech. A lot and of good asks, speeches. And then he asks the girlfriend to come with him, and she's like, ah, "No, I think I'm just gonna stay here." <laughs> All right, we're into what didn't work, and I've been excited for this. Bell, <laughs> bell, oh. God, can I start? I wrote in capitals Oliver Stone. <laughs> Mark. Can I start? Let me let me just put the one tell you the one word I wrote in capitals and then I'll let you get into everything else. I put Oliver Stone. I think he fucks this movie up. But Mark, go ahead. Okay. So, we'll start with Oliver Stone then since you said that. I think he just really wanted to be a football announcer outside of being a movie director. So, you know Barry Switzer's the one football announcer. The other football announcer is Oliver Stone. Correct. And he has to put himself in so many scenes, and he's such a distraction in the movie. Right. So I think he really, in another life, wanted to be a football announcer and perhaps had the clout in Hollywood to make a football movie and was just like, yeah, I think I'm just going to do this to fulfill that niche. Because... Well, so that makes sense because there were four 
really good scripts floating around about like the NFL and Oliver Stone optioned all of them and combined them into any given Sunday. Yeah, I think I, I really do think when so I, there's something to this theory, Mark, he stands out in all those announcer scenes and to the point where I'm where I was. I was like, how many times do you want to put yourself in your own movie? <laughs> and then when he's not in the movie, he intercuts he intercuts a a nice mentor mentee scene with a couple scenes from I guess some of his favorite yeah. movies. Like and then, that is the one of the most egregious moments of a director inserting himself into a performance I've ever seen by like oh, distracting sure. you away from what the actors are doing. Keep going. I, at Mark. this at this point, his ego was just too big, right? Yeah. He'd already been famous for so. Oh, long. for sure. Yeah, exactly. That's why I said I think he just literally made this football movie to fulfill like some little fanboy, some lifelong fantasy. Well, and it and, makes sense because he put all of the NFL players he had in it, and like, I and I think he. A lot of the scenes are just characters kind of just yelling at each other. And I, I often wonder, how many takes did he do? Maybe just one or two? Because Al Pacino in Martin Scorsese movie is a lot more fine-tuned than Al Pacino in Oliver Stone movie. But so interesting, because I learned in studying for this uh, uh, pod that Scorsese and Stone went to film school together. That's crazy. Really? I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's funny. There's a... I see similarities in their style. I just think Scorsese does it a lot better. I... <laughs> Go. And, and, I mean, we're being unfair to all of ourselves. We are. We'll get we into are. his career in a minute. And what? his career is great. But the other thing, I just got to go back to Cameron Diaz because you cut me off earlier. Yes. And Sorry. I hate the scene where she waltzes in the locker room twice. And. You got, you know, the huge, the dude with the huge junk just standing out and she's, and we got to have a moment to see that scene unfold. But then the scene where she goes in, in the middle of halftime of the playoff game and she thinks she's going to yell at the coach. I hate that scene. I hate everything about that scene. It's the most unrealistic scene. It would never happen. You don't, oh, fe- I, I, I'm going to disagree with you. You don't think okay. Jerry Jones has ever okay. inserted himself he, into a locker room? That's the only person in my notes that I have. I said, Dan unless Snyder? she was just trying to be Jerry Jones. Dan Snyder? No, I don't see it. You don't walk in and yell at your head coach in, the play, in front of his players in the middle of a playoff game at halftime. I hate that scene. So, and, and it's unfortunate because there's a nice moment between Pacino and Jamie Foxx in that scene where he's like, I got to go with you, kid. Are you ready? And it's almost like this apology moment. Are we on good terms? Right. Because I, and so. See, I kind of liked him standing up for him. When he went in, he's like, coach, he already said I'm going in. I, I kind of like Jamie Foxx standing up to her. I I don't know I that's that then, didn't bother me that's interesting and then the other Willie Beeman the one Willie Beeman moment that I just hate is when he thinks he's gonna ask the owner out on a date and yeah. he's, and no, he's like, it doesn't and, fit his character. It does. I agree with you there. And he's a third string quarterback. Let's be real. Why is he making a music video when there's the final month in the season and they're on a playoff push? But for some reason, the third string quarterback has time to make a music video too. Well, timelines so, yeah. are a little troublesome in this film. I like yeah. they, I like how they have a bye week right before their final week of the season. <laughs> I uh, I also don't understand and then it sounds like they had to, it sounds like they get a buy before the playoffs a lot of buys in this uh quasi this uh, made up league a lot going on there and what else didn't work for you guys i covered a lot there sorry so, so i i gotta hop in here too i'm so eager i mean usually this is the one we care the least about i hate the eyeball popping out i think it's so unnecessary oh, yes. yeah that's right you guys nothing to do the story just that might be one should... of the worst things in this movie keep going nick they should just cut it. It has nothing to do with anything. He doesn't teach us anything about how gruesome the game is. It, it, it takes away from the movie, in fact. We're supposed to believe a guy gets so 
hits so hard that his eyeball pops out. How unrealistic is that? Right? It really is stupid. It also feels like over-directing again. This, like, I, the whole movie, I feel like it's stone, and I, I, I don't mean to be bashing him this much because I do love some of his earlier work, but I just I feel like, to use the eyeball term, he's saying, look at me, look at me, right. look what I can do. <laughs> right, but let me keep going down this list. Yes. So I also, do they even have away uniforms? <laughs> I only see him as wearing the Sharks black, so I'm starting to wonder, is the last home is the last game of the playoffs, is that a... Home games and away game. How I know are the financials more... of this league? The, the speaking of the uniform, Dallas is like that. The Knights, it kind of looks drawn on the uniform. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Keep going. We'll get into that There's just some horrible logos and everything. We'll get into that. Uh, but I also think that their schedule is unrealistic. And these things add up and they start to bother you. Like, wait a minute, you lost four games in a row, then you're losing more games. And then you lose the game before the season when the team quits on you, and you're still in the playoffs. I mean, that's like we're talking an eight and eight team at best. I mean, they must be playing in the NFC East. That's what's going on there, right? Uh, Jesus, how do you lose that's that many games? Note. Yeah, and go to the Pantheon Cup. I don't know. That's a great note. Uh, it's a different league. Moving on to career corner, we're going to talk a little bit about Oliver Stone. Mark, I asked you to uh, be prepared to defend or like your thoughts on him. A little bit before the pod um where does oliver stone rank in like the pantheon since we're talking pantheon cup here of directors so Ooh, that's a good question i i, I wouldn't <laughs> think to put him on necessarily like a top 10 list or anything but he came out on fire in 86 with two movies salvador and platoon platoon especially it went on to win best picture that year and then the very next year he did Wall Street, which is a home run. I know it's Wall Street's one of Nico's, it's one yeah. of Nico's favorite movies. Yeah. And then he did this movie, Talk Radio, which I had mentioned that I don't think any of us have seen, but it's supposed to be good. But then after that, he did Born on the Fourth of July, then The Doors, and then JFK, which are all good. So, and then he did National Born Killers, Heaven and Earth, which I think people like. I never saw it. <laughs> I think it's people like. That means you're not sure. That means you're not sure. It's part of yeah. his Vietnam trilogy. He wrote three movies about Vietnam from three different perspectives. So, Yeah. And um, then he did Anthony Hopkins and Nixon, and then Any Given Sunday and U-Turn. And not really anything after Any Given Sunday, because then it gets really sour. Because we got Alexander, which I know Jeff and I think is a terrible film. One of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> maybe that's why i'm so i'm not anti oliver stone i love most of those movies you were talking about so oliver i apologize if i've been over yeah. to our share but let me yeah. ask nick curious about your opinion too so is oliver stone stone say better than ridley scott about the same i think ridley scott's better but i do want to give him credit i want to give him credit for w that's a great movie he nailed that george w bush era so well we were, we were dying so much to figure out and make sense of that time, and he did it perfectly in one movie. So give him credit after 2000, Mark. After this movie, I like the shout. Oh, out. I can't give him much. I can't. I know you like that movie, but he did a lot of garbage. I didn't. Love, I, didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't I didn't love W either. I, Wall Street. Wall Street Two sucked. I mean, let's be real. There's some good well, sex scenes and savages. But Jeff, remember Snowden? <laughs> Jeff, he did Snowden. Snowden's which you good. And I saw together. We Snowden saw is good. It's actually. okay. That's, yeah. Good you wouldn't watch it again. If I gave it to you on DVD, you'd throw it in the closet and never watch it. <laughs> Don't lie to me. I'm just curious. I wanted to see where he... I mean, obviously, I didn't say James Cameron, Spielberg. Um, Tarantino, yeah. I think me and Mark would both say yes. Would you... You probably like no, Stone better no. than Tarantino. Tarantino's the worst. Uh, huge Tarantino <laughs> I mean, I, fan myself. I have no... I have no pro- at the end of the day, I have no problem with Oliver Stone being on a top 25 director list. Ooh, but 25. Not top, not top 25. 20. That's no compliment. 
What about? What do you mean that's no compliment? You know how many film directors there are? Yeah, a but compliment. twenty-five. It's we're talking Oliver Stone here. He could get anything made still today. Top twenty 10, years yeah? after his heyday. Top ten. Well, I, top fifteen. I can't. I can't put him in. He's I, top ten. All right. Wow. We're gonna wow. we're gonna have on our social media. We're gonna have Nick put out his top ten directors sometime. I want to yeah. see. I want to see where Oliver Stone ranks in the ten greatest of all time. I also want to see Mark's list with twenty-four directors ahead of. Ahead <laughs> I of know. Ours. I want to see who these twenty-four directors are. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I said top twenty-five, so he just has to be in there somewhere. He okay. could be eleven for well, all I know. In that in that context, I'm going to give him top fifty because I know he's in the top fifty somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> all, all right, right Jeff. Who else? On. Anyone else? Yeah, let's talk, talk about, about little Al Pacino. I want to talk about actually something cool happens in this movie. And I talked to you guys a little bit before the pod. I, I really believe this kind of is at the end of a great Al Pacino run. And it's kind of the very beginning of an incredible Jamie Foxx run. And it's so neat that this movie is really about kind of what we talked about before. Kind of the old guard and the new guard. And we literally see a member of the old guard usher the new guard in. And I would say it's tell about the Irishman. So maybe 20 years later to, before Al Pacino does something else good. He's okay in Insomnia. And I would also, I would say the next three or four movies Jamie Foxx does are just money. He goes in and he does Collateral. He does Ali, uh, Ray. Ray. Just, so I, I think that that's super cool that they kind of like doors, pat like cars passing each other in the night or whatever. And just both of them. So, Any thoughts on that, either one of you? You're not wrong, but we, I think it's worth noting that Jamie Foxx hasn't done a movie for like seven years, and I think the last one he did was Annie, which is also with Cameron Diaz, which was also her last movie that she's done. The last movie she did was in 2014, seven years ago. I think it's interesting they both stopped acting together. I don't know what he's happened. He's been doing a lot of stand-up uh-huh. and focused on he, – he's also, for a while there, um, also in this movie, uh, he was he was doing a lot of rapping and um, music, I guess. What mm-hmm. do you – what do you guys think of uh, Willie Beeman's uh, songs? It's really bad. It makes <laughs> I could he do that. He was pretty decent in Just Mercy that came out last year. Oh yeah, he's one of the voices in Soul. He's he's the main voice in Soul that just came out. Oh yeah, so that's right. He's, okay, he's Joe. And then he's gonna be the new Spawn as well, which should be cool. Is this hey. the last great Pacino performance, Nick? Yeah, it is. Mark. Uh, I don't even know if it's Here, a great Pacino performance. Here's the thing. Can we get into this real quick? I think after the 2000s, him and Robert De Niro just started chasing money. They're like, hey, we'll give you $10 million to do this movie. You have to show up. You don't have to rehearse. You could do it. You just be you. And I think that they sure. just well, they started taking that easy caric- money. They both became caricatures of themselves. Yeah. Like one day, Mark, we are. I think one of our best hot takes ever, Mark, is this is our hot take on how since Sen of a Woman, Al Pacino's played the same character ever since. Don't I, waste my motherfucking time. <laughs> and what's funny is Pacino really loved playing this role because it was so different for him, and because he's so used to playing either a cop or a gangster of some sort. So. He really had a fun time shooting this role, but it, it does just seem like a lot of his same roles. It's just, hey, there's Al Pacino running up and down the sideline yelling again. He just, it was all a money grab in this career the last 20 years. It really it was. It really was. I mean, The Recruit, Two for the Money, 88 Minutes, Ocean's 13, Jack and Jill, Stand Up Guys. Those are bad movies. Jack and Jill. Ugh. But 2019 was a good comeback year for him because the Irishman was good. He was great in the Irishman, and he, he was good in his small bit in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. He was good in that. That good call out, Mark. All right, metal stand. Here we go. Let's Which do one it. do you wants to go first? I'll go first. I'll go first. Let me. 
Honorable mention. Because I love giving my honorable mentions. Just gotta come up with and, yeah, you always fit in four and a three, Mark. That's right, baby. Aaron Eckhart and Matthew Modine get my honorable mention this week. They don't have a big enough role, but I, I do love them in this movie. Especially on the rewatch. Because they, uh, they're just good in their parts. And they I didn't remember them even being in the movie. Bronze medal goes to Jimmy Woods as Doc Harvey. I love me some Doc Harvey. He's so good in this movie. Uh, silver medal goes to Willie Beeman, Jamie Foxx. He did great. He plays the diva quarterback perfectly. Uh, although the third string, and there's some issues there, but who cares? Oh, well. And my gold medal, even though Al Pacino sometimes doesn't work for me, this is still his movie, and he gets the gold medal from me. He's one hell of a coach, Tony D'Amato. And that speech is will that speech will forever be memorable. So we're, those are my medals, boys. Oliver Stone, you didn't make the cut because you're, <laughs> everybody's you're actors and all of ours. You're, no. sh- you're a shitty announcer, Oliver Stone. <laughs> Nick, go ahead. I'm gonna give uh, silver to Cameron Diaz. I think she or bronze to Cameron Diaz. I think she deserves it. I'm hanging up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked her in it. <laughs> I did too. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, have, I don't have too, too many choices. I'm not going to choose like a C-level star or somebody that didn't have a key role in it. I'm, Rooney, give it to Dennis Quaid over Oh, Kirk. God. <laughs> That's a close one. If I had to do an honorable mention, Mark, I might give it to Cap, Cap Rooney. He was, you know who else is great that doesn't get talked about? Lauren Holly. Oh, yeah, she Honorable right. mention. Right. I love Lauren when she slaps Holly. Cap Rooney. He's like, you've been bossing me around since college. She just slaps him in the face and says, I will not listen to this bullshit. <laughs> And she's got three him. years left as a quarterback <laughs> yeah. in this league. <laughs> and God, she's so beautiful too, isn't she? It's just so yeah. believable. No, she's good. I mean, she's good. Yeah. I'm glad you brought her up. Good call. <laughs> okay. Silver Jamie Foxx. I-, I loved Han's analogy, or Jeff's analogy, that it is really his... The be- I mean, he'd done Booty Call before this. So this is really the beginning of his drama career, which actually yeah. carried him pretty far. And Players Club. He's good in the Players Club as a DJ. That's an underrated oh, movie. I never saw it. I never saw it. And I agree with Jeff also that Al Pacino, goal. this is his best movie that he's done in the last 20 years. And I hope he still has something like this in him, but maybe he doesn't. But he'll be remembered as, this is his finale to me. So, My medals. My honorable mention goes to Elizabeth Berkley. <laughs> Show- Jesse Spano, you found a way to mention her. Showing up, showing <laughs> up uh, nude, a great, a great story. My wife did catch that section of the movie. She recognizes her before I do. And she's like, Elizabeth Berkeley's in this movie? And yeah. I was like, whoa, how did you catch this? He's like, what, you've never seen Showgirls? Uh-uh. Apparently my wife has. <laughs> um, I have to, but I didn't. I have to give a shout out to uh, Jesse Spanos uh, show, uh, playing a prostitute in uh, Any Given Sunday. Bronze medal goes to Cameron Diaz. I like her in this movie. <laughs> she works for me. Yeah. Marcus uh, left the podcast. <laughs> I thought he really did hang up. <laughs> my silver goes to Jamie Foxx. Uh, and my gold goes to Al Pacino. Hey, we had the same golds and silvers, everybody. Way yeah. to go. Way to go. It's pretty obvious. Wait, wait. Can we mention Jamie Foxx's real rap career? Remember Blame It on the Goose? If only we could cut that in right now. That was a great song from 2009. I downloaded the lyrics to the Willie Beeman song, but for time time allotment, I will not be reading them to you. (laughs) All right. Uh, Mark, what time is it? Ooh, it's Midnight Ponderings time, everybody. (laughs) Jeff, were you pondering anything this week? Because I sure had some pondering. I had some ponderings. My first one being, do Beeman and Tony win the Pantheon Cup together? In Albuquerque? Yeah. 
No, it's an expansion franchise. That takes like a decade. Do no. either of them ever make the Hall of Fame? Of course. It's Tony Amato. Of course. All right. No for Willie Beeman. Does, is Tony kind of a shitty coach? He runs the same play three times in a row, has a four-game winning streak because the quarterback changed all of his plays in the huddle. <laughs> after his great same, when he gets to the playoffs, after his great failure of the same play three times in a row, he calls a quarterback run twice in a row in the playoff game. <laughs> that was his big creative moment. And also, he has Willie Beeman, clearly one of the most talented uh, young players in the game, as a third-string quarterback. Don't know about Tony Amante. It, Tony Amato, they didn't know that he was talented, though. Remember, his talent really came out. In the, It's true. In, in this run, yeah. On that so. same vein, is Christina kind of a sneaky good owner? She knows when it's time to cut bait with Rooney. She knows how to shake down a mayor for a stadium deal. We all know how important <laughs> that is. She, she pressures the coach to do the right thing and start a mobile African-American quarterback in 1999, 10 years before Russell Wilson and Kaepernick, four years before Michael Vick. She basically wants to fire Marty Schottenheimer and uh, replace him with a hot young OC. And like, let's look at the playoffs this last year. We got Matt LaFleur. We got uh, Sean McVay. Uh, right, all, all the young up-and-coming coaches is what you're she saying. She might know what she's doing. Uh, a couple more questions. Does uh, Nick Crozier ever win a title? Yes. Nick's a good up-and-comer. He's well-deserving of his job. And But uh, going back to... Christina, no, she gets played by Al Pacino in the end credits, so no, she's not a good owner. She does. Why would they put an expansion franchise in Albuquerque? Hey, New Mexico <laughs> was blowing up in 1999, right? right? I've got a pondering. Yes. Does Willie not have the worst three-step drop we've ever seen? I can't believe Oliver Stone didn't cut that out. I mean, he has won during the... During the combined scene, God, it's spacing me right now. And it's he literally drops back three and then turns his entire body around and then throws it. It's it's something I've never seen before in life. And I'm just wondering, how the hell did this guy get a quarterback job? Well, hold on. So Jamie, or I forget who they originally cast, but they had to recast. Sean Puffy Combs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank because you, thank he, you. P. Diddy, because he sucked at he football. Threw, like, was... un, undisclosed reports say he threw like a girl. And... <laughs> Turns out he was such good friends with Oliver Stone that Stone helped him concoct a story about how it was all about scheduling conflicts and how he had to do his tour. Otherwise, he was going to lose all of his pay that he got paid to do his tour. But they concocted sources inside the tent kind of um, confirmed that they kind of concocted this story. Puffy still denies it. He says it was just scheduling conflicts. So does Stone. But everybody says he threw like a girl. Funny thing is, Jamie Foxx, despite his terrible three-step drop, Nick, and I kind of agree with you, played quarterback in high school, and he was a starting quarterback. He did. He's also 5'9", so it's hard for me to buy an NFL quarterback. Well, I wonder, I was up at midnight wondering, how many people never knew Tony took Willie to New Mexico? Because <laughs> they played this scene during the end credits, and people just get up from the movie and walk out during the end credits. So I, I thought to myself, that's a great scene, and why did they wait till the very end credits to play it? 
See, I kind of liked it. I think the movie ends on the emotional note, and then it kind of like is like the epilogue. It's almost like Marvel before it. its time. I don't know. I, I don't mind it. I'm just saying. But yeah, a lot of people I probably think people, didn't I think people walked out not even seeing that scene. Well, especially back then, because that wasn't the day exactly. that you waited around for like yeah. through the entire commercials they, to see what Marvel movie was coming next. And the only other pondering I had was sitting here in 2020, whatever happened to Bill Bellamy? And he had his time. He was great. I know, but he disappeared. He Where's Bill Bellamy? <laughs> That's a great. That's, that's a great a pondering. pondering. I know. That's what I see. Exactly. It's a, it's a great pondering. That, that goes on along with one of my ponderings is is Elizabeth Berkeley not the biggest career switch of all time from Saved by the Bell to Showgirls to a hooker in any given <laughs> Sunday? For sure. It is a it is a slow decline for that poor girl. Jesse Spano would be so disappointed right. in Elizabeth Berkeley. <laughs> I'm so excited. That's yeah, a no. good point. <laughs> hey, I got I got one looks, more pondering though. She looks great in this film. She I'm does. Say, she does. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> so, during the game, uh, life is a game of inches. Speech. He says this is the most important game of their of their lives, and I'm just wondering, didn't they just win the Pantheon Cup four years before? How is this the most important game of their lives? Just little things like that that just don't add up to me. It's bad, bad. One editing. thing I one thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about this speech that I think is worth me is mentioning. This speech is actually based on a speech that Marty Schottenheimer gave the 1989 Cleveland Browns prior to their third meeting of the Denver Broncos for the AFC Championship. In that, Which the Browns lost. <laughs> in that game, they lost by like 20. The other two were real close with Denver. This one they lost by like 25 points. So, so, so maybe Mar- it wasn't so, that great, that motivating of speech. <laughs> So what speech? What? Hold on. I have one last pondering that it just it just occurred to me. What speech does Tony drum up for the next week after you know blowing right. the wad? This I always week? thought that's why they lost. Because <laughs> <laughs> he came in there and like he had nothing. I mean, once once you uh, you. you can only propose once. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. I'm with well, you. and they went on to win two more games, right? So what other two speeches did he give that season? Exactly. That's what I mean. <laughs> Funny note. Um, Oliver Stone's favorite NFL football team is the San Francisco 49ers. And San Francisco wins the championship that year, the Pantheon Cup. Yeah. Probably not a coincidence. A little things- Easter egg from Ollie. little Easter egg from Ollie. Speak- All right. Things you may have missed, Nick. What do you got? I got a few things. More of it's, more of it's not that you missed watching the movie, but things behind the scenes. Did you guys see that George Clooney almost played Cap Rooney? I did not, no. but... Wow. How how could have a Cap Rooney would he have made? I don't know. Did you see that Cap Rooney's house was actually Dan Marino's house? No, I didn't know that. And there's yeah, a good yeah. there's a good chance that his character was actually based on Dan Marino, because Dan Marino retired in 1999, and he was kind of an immobile aged quarterback that carried a franchise, and his legendary old coach Don Shula was pushed out for at that time. A younger Jimmy Johnson. Ooh. Keep going. That's Nick. a good good comparison. So Fox and LL Cool J got actually in a real life fight on the set. Did yes, you hear they that? Did. And LL Cool J kicked his ass. <laughs> did he really? Yeah. It I, was. I to- totally believe that. Totally believe. They interviewed a number of people, and it is a lot of times you'll hear like different stories. This one's pretty undisputed. I think even Jamie Fox admits that he lost that one. <laughs> 
Paul Tagliabue and the NFL, as soon as they read the script sent over to him by Oliver Stone's agent, immediately sent out a memo to all the NFL owners saying not to cooperate with this film, which I find unique and hilarious at the same time, because obviously we know the story. This scared them. This was a time when concussions weren't even being talked about. Well, they it was like, <laughs> and like black quarterback starting. That was around right. the time. Uh, Which is why they had to use all these kindergarten names and uniforms because they couldn't get cooperation from the NFL. I think they'd probably only do rah-rah movies for the NFL at that point, but that didn't make sense to me. Why would you use the Miami Sharks when you could use the Dolphins? But that's why. Barry and they Switzer. deny it. They deny it to this day, too, that they well, ever they to- didn't. They totally do. It's hilarious. Barry Switzer, who plays a broadcaster in the playoff game, during the playoff game, he yells out, He hit an official! When Barry Switzer was coaching the Dallas Cowboys against the San Francisco 49ers in the 1994 NFC Championship game, he was penalized 15 yards for bumping an official. Wow. I got, I got two more. That's good, though. So Pacino was supposed to be in another Stone movie called Noriega. And after they did a table reading, which is actually a really big deal in, in movies, they actually decided they all hated it. And he was due to get paid anyway. Regardless, I mean, that's when you're that biggest star. It's called Pay and Play. Did you see that? Basically, he generously agreed to do any given Sunday instead, since he was already getting paid, which I thought was so hilarious. That and is funny. The last one is the Roma soccer team out of Italy in 2018 made a miracle comeback and inspiration, and they thanked the speech from Tony Amato for getting him there. Yeah, uh, it didn't work for Marty, but it worked for. <laughs> yeah, in real life sports, this is being soccer team still revels. So and every once in a while, it works for the Nuggets. Yeah. He, Oliver Stone wrote the original script with Charles Bronson in mind for the Al Pacino part. And the Al- so let's talk, hold on, let's talk about that for a second. Okay. So originally, this idea came about from somebody named John Logan, who yep. was a playwright in Chicago for ten years before he wrote a spec script. This any given Sunday being his first screenplay, and then Oliver Stone, with the help of Oliver Stone, they they turned it into what is now the movie, obviously, but. I just thought it was a cool little story for this guy that this became his first movie and it was his first foray into screenwriting. So, anyways, well, keep going, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, only other note I have is that in that same uh, realm, this part was offered to Clint Eastwood. Uh, yeah. And he was very interested, but only if he directed it. Yeah. And in my opinion, it would have been a mistake. To have him in the Al Pacino part. I think Pacino is perfect for this role. But I would have loved to have seen the Clint Eastwood directed version, which would not have, I think we all agree this movie might be 15 to 20 minutes too long. And if anything, the Eastwood version would probably be 15 to 20 minutes too short. Because Eastwood's just so efficient. Interesting. Yeah, I know it's a. This movie was made by Warner Brothers, and Clint Eastwood and Warner Brothers had been in bed together their whole career. So that's why Warner Brothers originally pushed for it. And then when, yeah, he wanted to direct this. No way Stone was giving up his football movie. Yeah, exactly. He, has, he wanted that announcing. He's been job. training for this his entire life. Closing thoughts. Nick, you got any? Yeah. I'm so proud this movie's made it 20 years and it's still talked about. I. I wonder with the new generation of football fans if it still will. I still use this film as reference, and that's that just shows you how timeless it's become. Anytime there's a running quarterback or something interesting, I'll find a way to be like, "Oh, he's Willie Beeman." You know, I remember saying that about Colin Kaepernick eight years ago. He's Willie Beeman, and that's just 
This movie has life more than ever. I think it's still a relevant football film. I don't think it can be beaten today. I've seen a lot of the modern ones. I was actually, when I was Googling through this, I saw a headline that said, best football movies, The Replacements versus Any Given Sunday. In my mind, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? For the NFL, Any Given Sunday. For college, the program. And I think it's got another 20 years life to it. And I'm a big fan. I, Good stuff. I'll give mine and I'll you, let Jeff? you take us out, Mark. I... I think this movie, I love the rewatch, but I think this movie is ultimately flawed like its director. It shows moments of greatness and just real potential to be one of the best sports movies ever. But in many ways, it falls short because it can't get out of its own way. And I think in a lot of Oliver Stone's early stuff, maybe he had more pressure from the studio and he had to keep it a little crisper. Or maybe he just wasn't just overburdened with so many ideas or so many things he was trying to do. Because in like the platoons and the Wall Street Wall Streets, he kind of does get out of his own way, which he can't seem to do in this movie. Uh, that being said, there's that speech is incredible. It's such a relevant movie that has aged, that has actually gotten better with age rather than worse. But it is a little sad to me because I think there's a great movie somewhere there and it just doesn't quite get there. Mark? Well, I just want to bring to attention that we chose a football movie because the Super Bowl's coming up and we all love sports. So this was really fun for all of us. But I really do feel like Oliver Stone just really loved football and wanted to make a football movie because he could, because he had that clout. And sure, this movie could have been better, but it could have been way worse, too. And unfortunately, I am going to remember Cameron Diaz being a disaster when I think of this movie. But I will also always think of that speech and how the football is on the field. And I just absolutely love that football material. And for that reason, hey, that's why this is definitely a movie that does not suck. So thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you again next week with something good on the horizon. Take care.